Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. It's that time of night, you can't stay up tight. So come and join the people that are feeling all right here on Overnight America. Overnight America. Yeah, all right. Welcome back. Last hour of the show. Ides of March, last uh, hour of the... <laughs> This is a date, which is March 15th. I will play Kevin Clean's whole other story again. Why not? Thanks for the messages, the calls from the last hour. That was nice. It was uh, fun to interact. Just for a programming note, Brad Young is going to be filling in on Wednesday and Thursday night. I'm actually going to be down the hall on our sister station, 97.1. I'll be in the building for the first time in months because for a show like that, you have to be in person. It's a little bit different doing the night show when... You know, I'm not interacting with anyone else. It's just me doing my thing with you. It changes things when you're sitting around and you got all kinds of people around you that you need to interact with. So I'm going to be out for a couple of days this week down on 97.1. Tomorrow, Dave Glover is going to come on the show here on Overnight America and talk about him moving down to KMOX. Next week is the debut of the Dave Glover show. Monday, starting at 2 o'clock on KMOX, and that's a pretty big move. It's someone that was on 97.1 since the start of it as a talk station. If you don't recall, it was actually a female-oriented talk station at first. So they were directing their talk to women. And then there was Dave Glover that was part of the show. I don't know how that all fit in there, but it did. So we'll talk to him tomorrow about starting a, a new part of his career here on KMOX. And that means Mark Reardon's going to be moving down to 97.1. But tomorrow on the show, I, I think you'll get a, a something out of that. But it is the Ides of March, Ides of March. And our friend Kevin Klein did a whole nother story on it that, of course, is Kevin Colleen fantastic. It was on March 15th, of course, that Julius Caesar was assassinated. <laughs> Stabbed to death in a public meeting of the Roman Senate. As many as 60 people were in on that plot. He was caught out in the open with just a, a toga on. And it was not a Kevlar toga. 
This event alone is reason enough to beware the Ides of March, but there are many other examples. A big cyclone hit the Pacific island of Samoa in 1889, killing 147 people. And on March 15th in 1917, Russian Tsar Nicholas got a bad visit. I'm here, Your Majesty, at the request of the delegates of the Duma. A very stern general telling Tsar Nicholas it was time to abdicate the throne. And the express command of General Alexeyev. And you know how that ended up. On March 15th in 1939, Adolf Hitler took Czechoslovakia. Through the snow, the legions of occupation march into Czechoslovakia. This rapid stroke, which has outraged all freedom-loving nations of the world, and in 1941, on the Ides of March, there was a deadly blizzard in the Great Plains. 151 people died when the sudden snowstorm hit North Dakota and Minnesota. Temperatures plummeted 20 degrees in 15 minutes, and this was before Doppler radar. In 1952, it was the day that they marked World Rainfall Record Day. 73 inches of rain fell in 24 hours on the Indian Ocean island of Reunion, 73 inches. And then in 1971, on March 15th, something bad happened to Ed Sullivan. Tonight, live from the Las Vegas Desert Inn and Stardust, the Ed Sullivan Show. We all know how the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan years earlier. But the show had gone downhill. I suppose in the 18-year history of our show, we've never had any star who's won such affectionate acceptance as our little Italian mouse, Topo Gigio. He was introducing a puppet. So CBS canceled the Ed Sullivan Show on March 15th, 1971. Bad things happen to people throughout history on any given day, but it may be a good day to be careful. Beware the Ides of March. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Colleen. <laughs> Kevin's so good at putting those together, isn't he? Always so good. I just wanted to read a text message that came in. This is last hour when we were covering the 60-minute Kim Gardner piece. Someone said, I agree with the callers about Kim Gardner, plus 60 minutes misrepresented North and South St. Louis. There are very well-kept and nice neighborhoods in both areas, as well as run-down, poor areas. But they gave the impression that North St. Louis is all bad. Not the case. If anything, I think that plays into the comment I made about how the national stories, whenever they come into a local area, they always misrepresent it because they're trying to play to a national audience. They could care less about St. Louis. They just care about whatever their mission is. And in this case, trying to bolster up the image of Kim Gardner without showing all of the major glaring issues that she has here. And the people all see it, all see it. She does have supporters, but she's got a lot of people that recognize there's major faults with her job performance. But 60 Minutes didn't really care much about that. But it's the same thing that you saw in Ferguson. CNN comes in, you know, they make it into, hey, look at this uh, freak show of a uh, uh, Ferguson. Look at their burning buildings down and police are over here. And, the you know, the people are getting shot over there and this is going on over there. Ah, ha, ha. Everybody look at how terrible uh, St. Louis is. And then they pack up their things and go and they don't think twice about it because they've already exploited the situation to their national audience. They have no investment in the local audience or they have no investment in any of the local people that live here. They're just in and out. Uh, Rush Limbaugh did a great job categorizing that. It's the flyover media. It's the drive-by media, excuse me, the drive-by media. And it was exactly it, the just drive-by and that's it. 
They could care less. That's why you have to look at national uh, stories with a grain of salt and say if there's something that has a little bit more to it, nuance to it, or really, if you really want to read all into it, look at the local publications. Look at the local news stations, the radio stations. Uh, there's all kinds of different things published on the problems that we've had. Take that, okay? You don't have to look at the puff piece from 60 Minutes. Very important. And I thought I would have some time to play some clips. Unfortunately, I do not. So I think it was John who called in, or Terry, I forgot last hour. Uh, you just have to go back maybe to the 60 Minutes website. If you go online, they have it posted. At least they did yesterday for free. You can go and watch it. So give that a try. All right, to talk a little bit about politics and the history what goes behind it. I find our conversation with Rich Rubino always so fascinating in that St. Patrick's Day is this week. What about the historic battle between Irish Democrats and Yankee Republicans? If you're not familiar with this story and what went down there, you're going to want to listen to it right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. He is the author of American Politics on the Rocks, Rich Rubino. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Ryan. How's that new book of yours coming along? It's coming. It's coming along. It's the uh, the uh, Byzantine editing process I'm going through right now, but it should be out uh, relatively soon. Line by line, the Rubino perfection is what's going on. Is that As process Bill where would you say line by it. line, dime by dime? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to um, talk to you about a few things. One of the interesting things is that this week is uh, a pretty big week. It's uh, St. Patrick's Day week. I know a lot of people are looking forward to getting their refund and stimulus checks. Other people are wondering, you know, how they might be celebrating this year if the, they do indeed celebrate. I decided to go online and I was curious which politicians had Irish descent. There's a lot. And going back through the line, even going back to the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And you reminded me um, that there was this battle that went on Irish Democrats and Yankee Republicans. That was a feud and a half. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was very different than kind of the way we see politics t currently. But basically, you had kind of flinty Yankee-type Republicans, a lot of whom go all the way back literally to the Mayflower, or a little bit right after that, you know, members of the Mayflower Society, that type. And they're usually Republicans. They were usually generally relatively liberal on social issues. Fiscally, they were more conservative. Um, and then there were also the Catholic Democrats were kind of the opposite in many respects. They came When they came over... They brought their, their, their brand of politics, which was generally fiscally relatively liberal, but socially it was relatively conservative. I guess you could – when I say liberal, I'm saying that more from a context of the time. In many respects, actually, some were more moderate or conservative. If it's interesting, there was kind of an inflection point, and that came in 1928 when the Democrats nominated Al Smith, who was the first Catholic to be nominated as the nominee of a major party. Al Smith is, was, the, was the governor of New York at the time, outgoing governor, and he garnered the nomination. And that year, he actually, that was the first time some, some Southern Democrats questioned their kind of loyalty to the party. That's where the term yellow dog Democrat came from. And essentially, people would say, I'll vote for a Democrat, even if it's a yellow dog. There are some questions among some Southerners, whether they could actually support an Irish Catholic uh, for president. Some actually did. Some actually didn't. Um, and actually, there's a term called Al Smith Democrat that kind of continued, continued after that, 
which was essentially somebody who was Catholic and a Democrat, um, and but they were also somewhat more conservative. And if you look at what happened right after, when the new so, so Al Smith lost in 1928, lost very convincingly to Herbert Hoover. Then four years later, Franklin Roosevelt, the man who had succeeded him as governor of New York, defeated Al Smith for the nomination. They ran against each other in 1928, in 1932, rather. When Roosevelt became president, Al Smith broke off with, uh, with Franklin Roosevelt, in part because of the New Deal. He said that it would basically pit class, quote, class against class. And he actually supported Alf Landon, who ran for president in 1936 and only won Maine and Vermont that year. 1940, he supported Wendell Wilkie, who so kind of broke off. But um, that, so that's kind of where um, you know the process essentially came from. Essentially, you had a, essentially there are a lot of somewhat even today there were even in places like Massachusetts, for example, where you wouldn't expect it. In some of the urban areas, there are um, a lot of Democrats who are actually pretty socially conservative, but on fiscal issues are somewhat more moderate or liberal. And a lot of them are Democrats more or less because of ancestry they're Democrats even though in some respects they actually think more conservatively. On the other side of that, you have some Republicans who go back, gener- who go back generations who can be very liberal, folks like you know, Bill Weld, for example, very socially liberal, uh, former governor of Massachusetts, um, but you know, certainly goes back and look at the Chafees in Rhode Island, for example, Lincoln Chafee and John Chafee, um, Jim Jeffords in Vermont. With, you know, these are people whose families go way back, but they are Republicans partly because of their ancestral, uh, uh, their ancestral uh, homeland. Yeah. So John F. Kennedy was of Irish descent, at least um, I don't know what percentage or whatever it would be. But and I, I think about the Catholic angle, because you mentioned uh, that was something that today, by any standard, wouldn't be all that different. But that was something unique to see a president in the White House who was a Catholic. Times have really changed. Did he just make it cool? Did he make it acceptable? And did that turn the tide? Or was it just that everything else culturally was changing at that time? Yeah, well, I think a lot of that actually changed in the West Virginia primary. So basically what what, had, what John, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy had to do in 1960 is he had to prove to voters that Democratic voters that he could garner support in a state that was 95 percent Protestant. So at the time, primaries were kind of voluntary almost. A lot of candidates that year, Lyndon Johnson and Stu Symington, didn't actually announce till around the time of the convention. But essentially you had John F. Kennedy and Hubert Humphrey as the only major candidates in West Virginia. So John F. Kennedy had to prove that he was, um, had to prove that a Catholic could win in a state as Protestant as West Virginia. They actually did a lot of dirty tricks to do that. One of the things they did is that Robert Kennedy, um, working for John F. Kennedy, actually hired... Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt Jr., of course, the Roosevelt family was extremely popular in the state of West Virginia, to basically barnstorm West Virginia saying that Hubert Humphrey was a draft dodger because he did not serve in World War II. In actuality, Hubert Humphrey had actually tried to serve, actually went for his medical exam, but they wouldn't accept him in part because he had a hernia. So he went around and he kind of started all, started all the, a lot of these rumors. He also, in many respects, tried to pay off a lot of um, precinct captains, you know, to really support the Kennedy campaign. But it got the message out that Kennedy, that a Catholic could win in West Virginia. So, Demo- so the Democratic Party gave him their nod for the nomination. And then, of course, he became, um, you know, he, of course, was elected president. And ever since then, you know, the Catholic um, stigma has very much been liquidated. It's kind of like, you know, usually when something happens once, um, after a while, after a while, it's no longer a political issue. That could say another example would be the the case of divorce. You know, when Nelson Rockefeller ran for the Republican nomination in 1964, he was absolutely pilloried. Um, he lost the California primary in, in part because his second wife was having a child with him, and it reminded people that his first wife 
um, that his first wife, that his second wife, rather, Happy Rockefeller, had abandoned her husband to essentially marry Nelson Rockefeller, so it became a huge issue. Then, but then when Ronald Reagan became president, he had been divorced once. He had been married to Jane Wyman. Then it became a virtual non-issue. And then you had folks like Bob Dole, John Kerry, uh, John McCain, who had also been divorced, and their divorce was virtually non-issue during the campaign. So I think John F. Kennedy kind of got rid of that stigma to the point that when John Kerry, who was also a Catholic, and Joe Biden, who was a Catholic, were running for president, the fact that they were Catholic was a virtual non-issue. You know, talking about the Kennedys real quick and joining us is Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks and Polit-Geek.com. Whenever you see a picture of President Biden inside of the White House behind him, there's that Robert Kennedy bust. I'm curious his connection between the two. Why Did they have a, a close relationship? Did they know each other? I don't I, don't, I can't. No. Uh, well, jo- Robert Kennedy they would have died in 19. 19- no, yeah. Robert Kennedy would have died in 1968 and Joe Biden would have assumed his Senate seat in 1973 so and he was only 30 years old at the time so i doubt that they ever would have met each other right that would have uh, been a stretch or maybe it's one of those stories where you always hear these type of urban legends where he ran up and he was a kid and he ran up and he said oh i really admire you and then he grows up and next thing you know he's the next big thing it's always one of those deals or they end up writing a letter to someone they idolize and then later you find out they wrote a letter and the person still had it um but that uh, is there and i know that each president has their own way of decorating the white house and the oval office in the way that they like is there anything else you've noticed in joe biden's oval office that stands out well, I was just going to say another thing would have been the famous meeting with Bill Clinton when he was part of uh, Boy State, when he represented Arkansas in Boy State, and he met John F. Kennedy. And then when he ran for president in 1992, his staff scoured the uh, archives. This was before, you know, the Internet really took off in the, in the, um, in, at the John F. Kennedy Library and actually found the video where Bill Clinton was, you know, essentially shook the hand of John F. Kennedy, and then he used it in The Man from Hope, the video that kind of introduced himself at the convention in New York that year to the American people, but that's kind of a very kind of interesting how they kind of intersected. Another would be Theodore Roosevelt. When Link, when Abraham Lincoln's um, brigade, when Abraham Lincoln, there was a parade in his, in his honor for his, you know, after he had died, and there's actually a picture you can see of Theodore Roosevelt, and I guess if you really use a microscope, you can see him sitting in, um, looking, out at the, looking out the window in New York, seeing the casket go by with Abraham Lincoln. So that's kind of where history kind of, I guess, intersects. But in terms of um, in terms of what's behind Joe Biden, that type of thing, I haven't really noticed anything um, all that different, other than the fact that obviously the family photographs are a little bit different. <laughs> he has really not Donald Trump photographs <laughs> behind him. <laughs> I really hope that when they build a Donald Trump presidential library, they put up the photo of all the Republican presidents playing poker. That was just <laughs> yes, so yes, perfect. Yes, yes. <laughs> the infamous photo. In fact. I should probably get a copy of that hanging up on the wall because it would just go so well in the studio. It's just such a weird juxtaposition type of photograph to have inside the White House and Oval Office. But at the same time, it's just it's like cool because it's out of place. I kind of like it myself. And then you have the other kind of the other presidents kind of like Coolidge and all kind of looking and kind of watching the whole process. Uh huh. Keeping an eye out. I get it. You know, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the stimulus package and some of the different votes that may catch your eye. We might have to save that till after the break, mostly for the sake of time. But if people wanted to find you online, what's a good spot for them to go? Yep, just go to www.polita-geek.com or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L, or of course go to Facebook and type in Rich and then Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Perfect. 
I've been looking online. It, there's a whole Wikipedia page, list of American politicians of Irish descent. And I thought, okay, here's some notables. There's a ton. I didn't realize it goes all the way back to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, it's pretty um, remarkable, all things considered. Because you, you yeah, think oh, about absolutely. going all the way back then. I mean, there was so much, um, there was a time when there was so much discrimination against immigrants and Irish immigrants and Italians and all of the, you think about some of them that came over here. You, it's amazing to think that they were even involved in the signing of the Declaration. That's wonderful. Oh, absolutely. Well, there was one, um, and he actually, uh, Charles Carroll, and he was actually also the longest, uh, he was, I believe, the last surviving member of those who had actually signed uh, the Declaration of Independence. And he was, of course, the only Catholic as well. So those are kind of, he's also one of the first senators uh, from Maryland. Um, that's, kind of one, that's kind of his, um, that, that's, of course, his imprimatur in history. But it's interesting, you talk about the kind of anti-Irish, anti-immigrant vote at the time. There was actually a political party called the Know-Nothing Party. It's called the no It was really called the American Party, but they called the Know Nothing Party because they were asked by the press if they had had a meeting to discuss the introduction induction of a party, and they said, "Oh, we know nothing." So in history, it's known as the Know Nothing Party, and it was actually quite popular. There was one year where in Massachusetts it controlled the entire congressional delegation, Governor Gardner, uh, some of the executives, and it controlled um, most of the state legislature. And in 1856, Millard Fillmore. Who had, let, who had been who had been outed, ousted ousted in 1852 uh, by Franklin Pierce left the Democratic Party and actually was the nominee of the Know Nothing Party that year and they actually won the state of Maryland that year that was the only the first time that was the only state they won that year but it's interesting because Fillmore in any respects was actually out of the country at the time and didn't really want the nomination but he did accept it. And there was kind of an it was an interesting because many respects the Know Nothing Party was very anti-slavery, but they were also very anti-Irish uh, immigrant, somewhat nativist mm -hmm. at the time. So there was certainly a legacy, and there certainly was a lot of pullback from the Irish, especially a lot of the Irish that came over, for example, during the potato famine. Wow. Yeah. So we'll have to talk about a few things right after the break. Because there is an interesting vote that happened during the stimulus package crossing over, and that may have to do with some political repercussions and maybe advantages that they could use in the future. But we'll do that right after the break. We'll take a look at your weather and more with Rich Rubino next on Overnight America KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Bar and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. He's Rich Rabino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, politi-geek.com. Rich, thanks for coming on again to Overnight America. Oh, you're quite welcome. You know, kind of playing off what we were talking about before the break, I have a guest in the next hour. She is a historian, and I think she's a professor at NYU. Her name's Linda Gordon, and she talks about the second coming of the KKK in the 1920s. And a lot of yeah. that has to do with, you know, anti-Irish sediment, things like that. The, the KKK of the 1800s, in how we normally think about them, much different than when in the 1900s and what their causes were. So it kind of plays off with some of the things that we mentioned in the last segment. I thought I would mention that to our audience listening now that next hour, there'll be a real interesting conversation on that. We, but I, just, I do. I just say yeah. that though, it's interesting back in 1924, there was a resolution at the democratic national convention to condemn the KKK. And Al Smith was one of the people, this was, Al Smith had run in 24 as well. He did not win the nomination that year John W. Davis did, but it was a huge issue within the Democratic Party. Do you condemn it? Do you not condemn it? Um, but it was a very close vote, and ultimately they uh, voted to condemn it, but it was obviously a very controversial issue at the time. Because I asked her if she could estimate how many members did they have at any given time in the 1920s, and she said an uh, estimate is between 3 and 5 million. There's a lot of well, people a part of the organization well, then. Um, okay, I well, do want to ask you about the recent stimulus package vote because there was one Democratic representative who did not vote for it, which pretty much went down party lines for the most part. And I wanted to ask you about that one representative in Maine and why they decided not to vote for it. Yeah, it's fascinating. So literally one member in terms of, so in the House and the Senate, it was literally every Republican voted against it, every Republican, every Democrat voted for it, including Joe Manchin. Every, so it was literally completely party lines with one exception. <laughs> and that one exception was Jared Golden of Maine. And he's kind of he's an he's interesting. He's also the only Democrat who voted against the legislation for background checks 
Last year, he did, he, was, he did the same. It was only him and Colin Peterson from Minnesota. Colin Peterson represented a district in Minnesota that went for 30 points by for Donald Trump last time around. He was chairman of the Agriculture Committee. He ended up losing. So it's, it's interesting that he was the only Democrat that did that. He represents a district that Donald Trump won. It's one of, there's only 4, 4% of congressional districts are actually have split-ticket voting, meaning that they elected somebody different from the United States House of Representatives to, their pre, to the president. And Golden is one of those rare commodities. He has a district. You may have seen um, on the date, night of election, because Maine and Nebraska award their electoral votes, they award two electoral votes to whoever wins the state. In this case, it was Joe Biden. Then they award the other two electoral votes to whoever wins a congressional district. There's the first congressional district, Shelley Pingree's district, which is quite Democrat, that went for Joe Biden. Then the other district, the second congressional district, is actually the second most rural congressional district in the country. And it's also the largest congressional district east of the Mississippi. It's absolutely huge. It goes from down south. If you look at a map of Maine, you don't think of Maine as this big, but it goes all the way up to Heuristic County. Um, and it's a very rural congressional district, so obviously his vote, for, um, his vote against background checks could potentially benefit him there. But he's somebody who's been vulnerable. He just was elected the first time, and the first time he was elected was because of they have um, ranked choice voting. The second time, he barely got reelected. And he really is kind of a maverick um, to the De- in the Democratic Party. In part, he probably will make the argument. His basic argument, he says that it was not narrowly tailored and that some money had already been given out, and he did not think that it should, that essentially the money should go to everybody. So that's kind of the argument that he's making. But still, he now has a primary challenger um, in Maine. And, you know, obviously, if Democratic primary, especially in the congressional district like Maine, where there aren't quite a lot of Democrats in that district specifically, if you go further up rural, there's a possibility he could actually lose, in which case the primary opponent would likely lose in the general election. But it's just very interesting that he chose to make the, to kind of make a stand on something that's so popular, even with Republicans, um, the stimulus package, he chose to vote against that. I can see why he would choose to vote against the background checks, even though they're generally popular. He wanted to be seen as kind of one of the last surviving um, pro-gun Democrats. But it's very interesting because he's always going to go down in history as kind of the one person um, who voted again, who voted who voted differently than his party on this. And certainly, I will say, if he wants re-election next time around, assuming he wins the primary in the general election, it'll be very hard for his Republican opponent to say, you know, you're somehow you're a handmaiden, you're um, you know, you're a um, proxy of Nancy Pelosi. He says, look, I'm the only Democrat who voted against in the entire House of Representatives on both of these measures. Making a name for himself. Uh, I also wanted to mention the Ides of March, which I know the term and I always have to look it up because I always forget what it means. Honestly, I just I kind of get the gist of it. And it's one of those things that you don't think about. You think about it one day of the year and then it comes and pops back up. And probably you're thinking about it sleepy because of the whole daylight saving time over the weekend. So you're not already, you're already thinking a little loopy to begin with. And then all of a sudden (laughs) we throw that on you. So uh, the political backstabbing, I think when we think of that, we always go back to Caesar and, you know, getting ambushed and, you know, stabbed in that sense. And you see the different memes pop up online. It always has to do with that. So I wanted to talk to you about some political backstabbing and things that may come to mind and, in uh, the spirit of Ides of March. I'm actually very impressed you said daylight saving time, because that's the correct uh, pronunciation. Sh- Almost everywhere else I hear acceptable. daylight savings time. <laughs> it should be acceptable both ways. There shouldn't really be a controversy. It should be allowed <laughs> to just be said with the S. 
it's um, kind of like the period after Harry S. Truman. It's just going to be one of those <laughs> ongoing perpetual. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for a few examples come to mind of a political backstabbing. And once again, for some reason, we're talking a lot about Al Smith today. But So Al Smith is interesting. So Al Smith was governor of New York. And in 1924, when he ran for president that year, Franklin D. Roosevelt actually delivered the speech nominating him at the Democratic National Convention, which we talked about earlier, so it's all coming full circle. Um, for president, Al Smith landed up losing to uh, the former ambassador down at Kingdom named John W. Davis. But that year also, when Al Smith lost, he went back to running for governor of New York. And his opponent that year was, his, was the cousin of the Franklin Roosevelt and the son of Theodore Roosevelt, the Republican Theodore Roosevelt Jr. And Franklin hmm. Roosevelt, in, in, in support of party loyalty, still supported Smith over Franklin Delano Roosevelt, over uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. that year for governor of New York. Also, it ends up winning. Once Franklin Roosevelt becomes president in 1933, um, he institutes a New Deal. Al Smith was never really a New Deal Democrat. He talked about this whole class against class issue, and he became very anti-Roosevelt and campaigned. He went against the trend in 1936 when the, Demo- when the Democratic Party pretty much had just about uniform rank-and-file support for Franklin Roosevelt. Al Smith goes out, and he supports Alf Landon for president, talking about how bad the New Deal was. Um, and then in 1940, he supported Wendell Wilkie as well. So that's certainly an example, I guess, of um, political backstabbing because Franklin Roosevelt had obviously put himself out on the line by supporting him over his own cousin. But here's, here's another example. Weird... Oh, go remember ahead. Gary, remember Gary Condit? <laughs> yes. 2001, the summer of Gary Condit. Well, 2000, and so Gary Condit, they called it Condit Country. He'd always been very popular in the Modesto, California area, the Central Valley of California. But then, of course, there landed up the whole issue um, with Chandra Levy, and he became, you know, absolutely, just absolutely enveloped um, the airwaves just about everywhere that year. And then the next year, he's up for re-election. And, of course, now he's actually electorally vulnerable. So what's interesting is a very close ally and the person who was his mentor, Dennis, I mean, Charles, Kerry Connett was the mentor of Dennis Cardoza, 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 state assemblyman, was actually his chief of staff. Cardoza comes and actually runs against Gary Condit in the Democratic primary that year. He lands up defeating him. And um, at the time, you know, Chad, Chad Condit, who was Gary Condit's uh, son, came out and said basically uh, Dennis backstabbed Gary. He took advantage of a, of a tragedy. He saw it important to win an election, and he did it. So that's kind of one example, another example of backstabbing in the Al Smith uh, tradition, I guess. So I wanted to go back to uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. because you never hear about Jr. So if let's say you could be born into one presidential (laughs) family, which presidential family would that be? I think genetically, James Garfield's family. Absolutely. This is the guy who could literally, you know, he he was president of a college. He was somebody who could literally write Latin in one hand, Greek in another hand. He could speak, you know, he he was a polyglot. He would literally campaign with German audiences speaking German. Probably the smartest president I think that we probably ever had, and I think just to have you know those genetics, um, you know, he also actually had um, he had a son who actually became president of I believe it was William Col- Williams College as well. So um, actually, had, he has he had very, he had very um, good genetics. I was going to say, wouldn't you want to pick one that wasn't all that great? Because then you're not always going to be compared. You could probably <laughs> soar even higher with the opportunities, as opposed to everyone saying, oh, why can't you be more like your dad? 
then in other ways they could say, oh, wow, you really took the family legacy and built on it and you became your own person. And see, you always live under the shadow of a popular president. I never, yeah, I never, I never thought of that. I guess if you were the son of Andrew Johnson, um, you'd probably be looked upon, you know, when you actually came up and you um, achieved something great. I guess you could be looked at and say, you know, I've achieved essentially the opposite of kind of what my father, because obviously someone like Andrew Johnson is usually viewed as probably one of the one of the worst presidents um, in American history. I guess the same thing with someone like James Buchanan, although I think James Buchanan had pretty generally good genetics as well. So. I guess it's kind of, you know, it's it's all across purposes. But, yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, I did not even think I did not even think of that. Well, um, is Theodore Roosevelt Jr. in your new book that you're putting together? Uh, I believe here there will be a reference to him, and it's probably oh. a reference to he, he I know there, I think there was a reference in my last book. And it's all that a reference to the fact that uh, Franklin Roosevelt supported in New York Al Smith, the fellow Democrat, over Franklin Roosevelt's uh, son running, and of course, both Franklin Roosevelt and Theodore Roosevelt both served as assistant secretaries of the Navy. They both served in the state legislature. Um, Franklin Roosevelt was a state senator. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was a state uh, representative, and they both ended up serving as governors of New York, and then they used governors of New York as a launching pad to the presidency. In Franklin Delano Roosevelt's case, he went directly to the presidency. In Theodore Roosevelt's case, he went from governor of New York to vice president and then to presidency. Just like that. Make it sound so easy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Five easy steps. <laughs> absolutely. That's what you do. You run for, you I mean, theoretically, you run for something like, you know, you start off, you run for, you know, cemetery commission or school committee, then you run for state rep. Then you run for lieutenant governor. The only person who's actually done it probably the way, probably this kind of textbook way, was probably Calvin Coolidge. Um, you know, he started off at the very local level. Then he becomes a state representative, state senator. Then he becomes lieutenant governor. Then he becomes a governor. Then he becomes vice president. And then he becomes president. And then he retires. So he did it kind of that very textbook way of doing it. The textbook way. Um, by the way, if people wanted to find you online and some of the things you're doing, where can they look? Yep, just go to www.polita-geek.com or find me on Facebook at Rich, last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or just go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. Perfect. And I very much enjoy our conversations on Monday and always a unique perspective looking at what's going on today and how it played out historically. Rich Rubino, thank you for coming on to Overnight America. Yes, and I know all the other guests talk about Millard Fillmore as well, so I, wanted to, I, didn't, want, you know, I didn't want to be unique on that. All the time. See, producer Mike says, more Millard Fillmore. Oh, <laughs> more Fillmore again. Oh, all the time. You can do a whole time. show on it tomorrow, maybe. Maybe you can do a whole <laughs> show, just cut out, for, cut out you know, the entire show just for Millard Fillmore discussions. Stop it! <laughs> Rich Rafino, thanks again for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Okay, tomorrow, all Fillmore uh, talk. It's Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. I saw this one story, and it really didn't get much attention over the weekend, but the New York Post put this up yesterday. Meghan Markle, uh, according to some blog post she made a couple of years ago, it seems to debunk some of the claims she made to Oprah. So she goes and does the interview and, uh, you know, people go crazy over it. But whatever. It, that's the thing. Do I really need to commit that much 
time and energy to watch the interview? Absolutely not. Two hours? Yeah, right. Like, I care. So I had Trish Gazelle from our sister station, KEZK, come on and explain it to me. So I know a little bit more about it now. And that is still in the podcast section if you go to the Overnight America podcast. Now, over the weekend, the New York Post decided to look a little bit into some of the claims because it seems like it's page six seems more gossipy. I think that's what that's meant for. But it, it might be the most journalism that has been conducted based on this one interview that has become a sensation. And it said Meghan Markle, who claimed to Oprah Winfrey last week that she never thought uh, never thought what it would be like to marry a prince, blogged about dreaming and becoming a princess just a couple of years ago, seven years ago. So she says, oh, I never I never, ever thought about it. And then we go back and read that. Oh, no. Yeah, she thought about it so much so that she wrote articles about it. Um, she said she dreamed about being a princess um, back in 2014. Okay. So I guess that's one thing that might contradict it a little bit. There's some other things that have come out, but that's fun to see. It's fun to see that pointed out. Wow. Well, it's so amazing how fast these shows go by. We'll be back again tomorrow for Overnight America. We started at 8 o'clock, and Dave Glover, who will be moving over to KMOX from our sister station, 97.1, will come on and we'll talk to him tomorrow. And we got a lot of other great guests scheduled for it, too. Best thing you can do is to look us up on social media. If you hate Facebook, then... Protest Facebook by liking my page, Ryan Recker Radio. If you're not a fan of Twitter, that's fine, too. You can always connect with me on there, at Ryan Recker. We can hate these things together. It's just so easy, too. So, so easy, too. And the nice thing about Facebook is you can drop me a message if there's something you want me to look up or you want to send me an article or whatever, as opposed to calling me and telling me uh, about these books. It's always easier for you to email them to me because I can get to them. They're um, much easier accessible when I can get a link to it. So enjoy the rest of your night. We'll be back uh, with the replay hours coming up, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the dial on the radio Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow If things were only like they used to be
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 